I am here. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Lord, Lord, why do you not hear the cries of their children in the bondage of Egypt? I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Therefore I will send thee, Moses, unto Pharaoh, that thou mayst bring my people out of Egypt. Who am I, Lord, that you should send me? How can I lead this people out of bondage? What words can I speak that they will heed? I will teach thee what thou wilt say. All right. Well, anytime I can get Chuck Heston in a lesson, I try to do that. <laughs> Jeremy wasn't too impressed. I said, Jeremy, you ought to be impressed. You're into acting and everything. And he said, I know, exactly. So he kind of dissed my man, Chuck. But, uh, hey, you know, Hollywood did pretty good on that one. I think the best thing that they did was the representation of the bush itself. Uh, and, and you're going to see uh, in what we see in Exodus 3 that that's probably accurate. You know, uh, Heston also did the voice of God. Now, I didn't know God spoke in King James English, but apparently in Hollywood he does. And uh, not only did Heston... Uh, do the voice of God there in the burning bush, but did you know that his son portrayed baby Moses in the movie? They had, he had just had a son, and Cecil B. DeMille waited until the to film it until the baby was three months old, so it would be uh, accurate to the Bible. Well, they got some things right, they got some things wrong in that movie, but let's go to God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at this passage of the burning bush. So where are we, as you turn to Exodus 3, where are we in the life of Moses? And so give you a little twist there on the three aspects. You can divide Moses' life. He lived 120 years. His life neatly divides into three periods of 40 years each. And the first 40 years were in Egypt being somebody. Moses was in Egypt being somebody. He was proud and sufficient. And then that turning point where he murdered an Egyptian for abusing a Hebrew slave. And then the next day he tried to bring peace among his brethren. And they said, what, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And so he fled for 40 years into the wilderness being a nobody. So he went from being a somebody to being a nobody in the wilderness. And after 40 years of shepherding, going from a prince to a shepherd. You know, it's interesting because this story flows right out of the last chapters of Genesis where Joseph went from being a shepherd to a prince. And here is Moses going from a prince to a shepherd, being a nobody, to the turning point of the burning bush. So that's where we're at. We're right at that turning point, And it's his encounter with the I am God in the burning bush that led to the reality that God is somebody who uses nobodies. God is somebody who uses nobodies on mission for Him. So this is a very critical point, and we see out of this passage that God rescues us to be on mission with Him. And so this is the second turning point. We're going to go through, uh, hopefully, an overview of, of all of Exodus 3. There's just so much good stuff in that. Let's just do an overview today, and then next week we're going to take more of a, a focused 
uh, laser focus on the actual God who reveals himself as I am who I am. So let's take a look and realize this. This is this passage is so famous. I mean, it, it, it was referred to even by Jesus and the rabbis in the New Testament as the bush passage. When Jesus would reference, he'd say, you know, remember the bush passage? And yet the reality is the call to Moses in this passage is not really about Moses and it's not really about the burning bush. It's about the God who reveals himself within the bush, but not even within the bush, but within the fire that's within the bush. And so we often see these stories, and especially if we get our understanding of the Bible from entertainment and from movies and and these kind of things, well, we get the wrong focus because the focus is not on the bush. It's on the fire that blazes inside the bush. And from within that fire, God gives us four revelations, four revelations from the God in the burning bush. And so I think this is a great way to... Uh, divide and outline this chapter. So let's take a look at these four revelations. I'll give them to you, and then we'll have some observations that will move you through the text. So I hope you have your Bibles open or on, and I hope you can move through it. And uh, we want to be studying the Bible this morning. So let's take a look at it. The first revelation is this. God reveals himself. God reveals himself to Moses. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 3. Exodus 3. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, more than likely the chief priest, the ultimate priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. West side of the wilderness was probably weeks away from Midian. So he's way out there. He's looking for fertile pastures. He's shepherding and leading the flock of his father-in-law through the wilderness to good pastures, and he finds those at Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire, in a blazing fire, or more literally, as a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside. Now, and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. So, God is revealing himself to Moses. First of all, who does he reveal himself to? God reveals himself to a humbled shepherd. Notice three things. Moses is shepherding sheep. And after, and he's done it now for 40 years. And the significance of that is, here's this 80-year-old man doing that which for the first 40 years would have been despised by the Egyptians. So here he is, Egyptians despise shepherds as being unworthy, despise sheep as being unclean. You can find that in the scriptures. And so here he is, Moses is shepherding sheep. Secondly, Moses is serving his father-in-law. Moses doesn't even have his own flock. He doesn't, he's not even working for himself. He's working for his father-in-law. So here's this guy who was a prince of Egypt, shepherding sheep, and doesn't even own his own flock. He's shepherding, he's serving for his father-in-law. And we don't know for sure, but most likely as a priest of the Midianites, uh, it, there is the possibility that he, his father-in-law, his father-in-law's family, worships the one true God. But we don't know that for sure, but Moses married in to this family. Third, Moses is leading the sheep through the wilderness to the mountain of God. Now, this is hugely significant when you think about this first verse. You're like, okay, what's the big deal? Let's get to the burning bush. Let's get to the burning bush. No, you need to understand that Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, and more than likely... We don't know if this is called the mountain of God because his father-in-law was a priest to the one true God and maybe God 
revealed himself uh, on a regular basis on this mountain? We don't know, but more likely it's the mountain of God because of what's about to happen. It becomes the mountain of God because Yahweh, the I am God, reveals himself. So he's weeks out there. Now, does this sound familiar? He's leading sheep through the wilderness to the mountain of God. This is a preview of coming attractions. This is exactly what the rest of Exodus, the rest of Numbers, the rest of Deuteronomy, this is the rest of his life for the next 40 years. But instead of leading sheep through the wilderness to the mountain of God, who's he going to be leading? The children of Israel, yes. And so what a profound reminder to us. Moses is about to graduate from God's school of shepherding in the wilderness because he's learned to be a servant leader. He's learned to be the kind of leader that God wants to use. Moses has been faithful in little, and God's about to call him to be faithful in much, but it's a reflection of what he's been doing. I wish I could just implant in each of you, and especially in younger people, that if you will be faithful in the little things that seem mundane, They seem ordinary. They seem like, hey, I can cut corners. Hey, I don't have to be really diligent here. I can can get by, but oh, I want to do great things for God. And you've got to understand, God uses the little things to prepare you. I remember when I traveled with the uh, mobilization missions team from Liberty, SMITE. I don't know why they called it that horrible name, but that's what it was. Student uh, student missions intern training for evangelism. Why they wanted that, I don't know. No, but I was in the multimedia. I was behind the screens, and boy, I tell you, I'd go in these homes, and I'd room typically with a couple of my friends who were the singers. And and what do you do? I do media, and then they turn to the singer and talk to him. You know, I mean, no, you know, nobody. I mean, I sat. We had to set up equipment. The singers went and ate first. I sat behind there. The singers that were pastors, majors, they got to do all the the speaking and preaching until finally. Uh, we went to Soweto, the the township in South Africa, and I got to preach. But I remember all those years just sitting there. You know, God, what are you, what are, what are you doing? But what he was doing was instilling in me behind those screens, listening to those songs, one, humbling me, but also instilling me a deep passion for global missions. So you just, you this is just so beautiful what is being unfolded in his life and it has relevance to us god reveals himself to no to a nobody who is being faithful and he'll do that for you secondly god reveals himself in the fire of a burning bush god reveals himself in the fire of a burning bush that is burning but is not burned up now this i think i have most likely but actually the bible literally says this is a a small thorn bush it's a thorn bush acts 730 tells us that it's a thorn bush that is ordinary and common to the wilderness now think about this god has chosen of all the places he could reveal himself to Moses, he uses a thorn bush. Now, what does that immediately make you think of in the Bible? And we're just going through Genesis, so you ought to be able to tell me. What's it make you think of? Yeah, the curse of God on the garden. There would be thorns. So here is God, this holy God from heaven, coming down, condescending himself to reveal himself in the midst of the cursed thorn bush. Isn't that amazing? But that's our God. Here he comes down to the sin-cursed planet to reveal himself in a sin-cursed thorn bush. And what is burning is not so much the bush, but God himself. And I think this is critical. What is burning is not so much the bush, but God himself. This, I believe, is why the bush is not consumed. Because it's really not the bush Burning, it's God's holiness in the midst of the bush. And as you trace this and look at all the references, because there's all sorts of references to this significant turning point, you see that it really is about, you have this bush, but within the bush is the fire, and within the fire is God himself. And so that's the significance. The significance 
is that God's holy fire is at work in the midst of a sin-cursed thorn bush, just as he's in the work at work in the midst of his sin-enslaved people. So there's a lot. I mean, you could. Well, there's a lot here. And notice it says in verse 2, the angel of the Lord. Now, I can't get into this, but uh, we did a whole study because somebody asked, is Jesus in the Old Testament? We did a whole study on how the angel of the Lord is often, and especially definitely here in this passage, is a theophany or even a Christophany, a revelation of the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is the Son of God, a pre-incarnate revelation of the angel Lord, because you see in verse 2, it's not merely an angel, because as soon as it says, verse 3, uh, or I'm sorry, in verse 4, when, I, when the Lord saw, he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. So the angel of the Lord is the Lord God. That I can say absolutely, I believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Now here's the point. God's holiness is being revealed in the midst of a sin-cursed thorn bush. How much more can he use a failed nobody like Moses to deliver his people out of bondage? What a picture previewing the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who is the very holiness of God, the I am God, comes down to be born in a human body to identify with his sin-cursed people, then takes a thorn of crowns, a crown of thorns, and then becomes cursed for us and dies on a tree. And the Bible says whoever is hung on a tree and dies is cursed. All of this is, is telling us. This is a preview of coming attractions. This is saying, look, somehow a holy God can come and dwell in the midst of this sin-cursed world, and that's good news for you and, my, you and me. That is very good news. Now, the blazing fire reveals God's holy presence to do two things. The blazing fire reveals God's holy presence to save His people and to judge His people. God's holy fire, and when you trace fire throughout the book of Exodus, actually you could trace it throughout the first five books, the Pentateuch. You could trace it through the Old Testament. You can trace it all the way through the New Testament. But just in the book of Exodus, here's references to the fire of God, just in the book of Exodus, there's seven of them. Fire and hail comes down as one of the plagues to judge the Egyptians in, in, in Exodus 9. The pillar of fire that guides the children of Israel is God's presence to save and guide them in Exodus 13. The pillar of fire, and by the way, it says the, the angel of the Lord was in the pillar of fire. So here you get the same connection. And he throws the chariots of Pharaoh into confusion in order to save Israel in Exodus 14. The fire comes down on Mount Sinai when God reveals himself to Israel. So when, when the shepherd is faithful, when Moses is faithful to lead God's people back to this mountain, guess what? Instead of just a bush, the fire of God's presence comes down on the whole mountain. In Exodus 19, fire will be used to burn the holy sacrifices in chapters 29 and 30. Fire is used to burn up the idol of the golden calf. They crush the idol and they throw it in the fire as judgment in Exodus 32. But then you get, and we will get to it in this series, we get to the last chapter of Exodus 40. And in Exodus 40, the last chapter, the last verse, the fire of God's holy presence comes down and dwells in the tabernacle. A picture of God's holy presence dwelling in the midst of a sin-cursed people that he is redeeming for himself. So all of this is significant. Wow, God reveals himself to a humble shepherd. God reveals himself in the midst of a bush that burns and is not consumed. Number four, the blazing fire of God's holy presence does not consume the thorn bush. And that's where it gets radical. This is good news. There is a way for God to draw near to us as sinners and not consume us 
with His holy judgment. Now, we don't know how this is going to be done yet. And we'll see it even in this series. We'll see the Passover lamb. It's because God Himself becomes our sacrifice. But for now, the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And there will come a day when God will return and the fire will fall just as the rain fell in the days of Noah. And this world and all who have rejected Christ will be consumed. But for now, there's a message of hope here. He is in the midst of the cursed thorn bush, burning with holiness and yet not consuming that which is cursed. Wow. You know what's radical about this? God is revealing Himself in the ordinary. Thorn bushes were all over the wilderness. In fact, there's the possibility that thorn bushes ignited naturally all throughout the wilderness. What caught the experienced eye of the shepherd was not that the bush was burning, but it was burning and not what? Not being burned up, not being consumed. Hebrew says our God is a consuming fire. And yet here's this bush that appears to be burning. And so number five, Moses steps out to check out the extraordinary that is being revealed in the ordinary. Moses stops to check out. Moses doesn't know this is God, but he's experienced. He knows that literally it says here it's a marvelous Sight. This is something that is supernatural, and God is not sure. Now, I could give you, I think I found some guy that had a list of seven, maybe ten ways commentaries try to explain this burning bush. Now, if you're one like myself and like our church that believes the Bible is inspired, and, and when we read the Bible, we hear God speaking without error, then it's not surprising that God would reveal himself as a burning fire in a bush and not consume the bush. But when you are unbelieving, you have to try to find naturalistic ex- explanations. And so here's some of them. Uh, this is not natural gas burning. They thought, you know, there's been explanations that he must be a fissure near nat- natural gas, and so it's burning. It doesn't explain why the bush doesn't get consumed, right? It's not gas emitted from the bush burning. I guess there's actually plants in the wilderness in Sinai that emit gases from their leaves, and then if it gets hot enough, which it would in the desert, they ignite. Okay, that can happen. Doesn't explain why it's not getting burned up. It's not sunlight reflecting on the leaves of the bush or the leaves themselves, the light. I mean, it's just, it's sad. It's heartbreaking to listen to the unbelieving mind trying to explain that which is supernatural. It's not a material fire. It is a supernatural fire that does not burn up the material. It is God in the midst of His material creation revealing Himself. It's not about the bush anyway. It's about the holy God who is revealing Himself in the holy fire. And Moses sees something that's not natural. It's a marvelous sight. It means it's intense. It's fearful, and he's drawn to it, and he chooses to check it out. And so uh, the last observation here, God reveals himself by name. God reveals himself by calling Moses by name. So he approaches the bush, and out of the bush doesn't come reflecting leaves, the rustle of reflecting leaves, not the, the sound of emitting natural gas. We don't even want to think about what that sounds like. We're, what he hears is God calls him by name, by name. That was crazy. I can't believe I just said that. All right, four through five, four through five. I can't look at Jim Collinsworth right now. Exodus four through five. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. See, God is in the midst and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, let's see this. 
First of all, God sees Moses respond to the bush that burns, but is not burned up. I think this is interesting. There's this sovereign God revealing himself, but he's he's watching, and how is Moses going to respond? Is Moses going to say, oh, wow, that looks really supernatural, and then walk away? No, it's once God sees Moses responding to this, this mysterious and not very clear revelation, once he responds, then Moses uh, or God gives him greater revelation and calls him by name. I think we need to be reminded that when we respond to the little revelation, then God gives us more. Maybe the reason you are struggling with understanding the Bible is you haven't yet responded to the little you do understand. Maybe the reason you can't make sense of church. Maybe right now you're like, I'm already lost. Where, where, what, why is this important? Where is this going? Maybe that's because the little revelation you understand from God, you've never yet responded to it. When God saw him respond, then God called him by name. I think that's significant. Number two, God calls Moses by name. Moses. Moses. Why does he do this twice? Well, when you see throughout Scripture, this is what God does. When God called little Samuel out of the t- in the temple, when Samuel was training to be a priest, what did he say? Samuel. Samuel. And actually, this goes all the way throughout Scripture, even into the New Testament. What's the point? It's an it's a, it's a expression of great affection. It's, it's not, Moses, hey, Moses, look at me. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, Moses, Moses. So Amber was home this summer, and uh, so it was great to have her in the home, great to have her there. And Gwen would be sitting on the couch, and Amber would walk through. And I won't do it like she does it, because she does it in a different kind of, in, I guess it's endearing. I don't know, it's different. But she just says, Amber, Amber. she just says it in a different way. You ask her. But the gist of it is, she repeats Amber's name. What is the point? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, it's just good for you to be here. She's not really, you know, it's just, it's affection. This is what God is doing out of this bush. Number three, Moses answers God with a servant's heart. Here am I. This is the response of a servant to a king. You know, the king says, servant, and you say, here am I. Ready to do your bidding. Here am I at your beck and call. This is the response of a slave before his master. Here I am at, here I am at your very uh, beck and call. Now Moses, stop and think here. Moses, like us, will find that it is easy to say, th- say this. Hey, here I am, whatever you want. And then Moses, as we're going to see today, hopefully, uh, God's going to tell him what that is. And what does Moses immediately start doing? He start making excuses. So he's like, here I am, but not for that. And maybe you can relate to that. Moses has the heart of a servant, though. He is God-dependent when he says this, and he is ready and willing to be God-obedient. He'll struggle with it, just like you and I do, but God will give him grace. Number four, God warns Moses, do not come near, you are standing on holy ground. Do not come near. Now, this is funny. I thought you just said God responds because Moses draws near. Now he's saying, don't come near. Make up your mind. Maybe Moses was thinking, are you calling me to you or are you warning me to stay away? And what would be God's answer? Yes. It's both. It's both because this is the God that we serve. Come near me, but understand I am holy. Wow. Pretty heavy stuff. Remove your sandals. Why? Because that was a sign of respect before a king. When you entered the presence of a king, you remove your sandals. Slaves did not wear shoes. You see this whole idea that God is the holy king of the universe come down and yet he doesn't change his holiness, and we need to understand that. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Here's the first time that holy is used as a noun. It was used as a verb back on the seventh day of creation when God made 
sanctified the holy day or the sanctified the, the, the Sabbath day. But this is the first time it's used as a noun. The ground is holy. Why? Was there something special? Do we need to go to Mount Sinai and find that exact spot, set up a shrine? No, the ground is holy because who is there? God is the holy one. And where God is, He makes that which He abides with holy. We don't make God holy. We don't make ourselves holy in the sight of God. God makes that holy, that which He dwells in. And this is huge. Because by the end of this book, chapter 40, I already told you, His holiness is going to come and dwell in the midst of the children of Israel. And that means, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. And that leads you into Leviticus. Because how can an unholy people live in a holy God? And that leads you into Numbers. Because what happens when a people, uh, when God's holiness dwells in a people and they rebel? Bad things. So here we have, we don't make anything holy, much less ourselves. We are holy if God has set us apart to be holy and actually dwells in our lives. And here we get number five, God reveals himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What's the significance here? After 400 years, God is still alive God is still keeping His promises. They've been in 400 years of of slavery. And maybe you've been in a lot of suffering right now. Maybe you've had a very long and deep valley. But understand, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still fulfilling His purposes. He's still keeping His promises. And He hears your cries and prayers for relief. Six. Moses responds, responds fitting, fittingly or appropriately by hiding his face. Well, God reveals himself to Moses. Now, what does he do in verses 7 through 10? God reveals his plan. First, he reveals himself, his presence. Now he's going to reveal his plan. So let's look at verses 7 through 10. Look in your Bibles. Here's what the Lord said. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. That familiar phrase, here's the first time it's used in Scripture. To the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and all the termites, these six nations. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt couple observations about the plan. Number one, God's plan is holy and loving just like He is. It's holy and loving just like He is. He says, I've seen your suffering. I'm aware of your suffering. And I am going to do something about your suffering. So here's this great and holy God that you have to remove your sandals. You need to say, Your will be done, not mine. And yet here he is condescending with compassion, loving compassion. This is amazing. God not only sees and hears, he also acts. Look at the second thing. God's plan is not only holy and loving like he is, but God's plan is to deliver his people according to his promises. His plan is to deliver his people according to His promises. And His plan is not only to deliver them out of bondage, but into a land of blessing. And let me stop right here. Some of you are missing out on the land of blessing. In other words, you focus on God's forgiven my sin. God's forgiven my sin. You're like some religions that keep Jesus on the cross. And it's all about continually getting forgiveness. Look, God delivers us out of bondage to sin 
to one day into His presence, but we can enjoy the blessing of His presence now. Amen? So it's not just, oh, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Thank you for forgiving me. No, I get to be your son and I get to enjoy who you are. This is crucial, crucial stuff here. But understand this. God doesn't merely deliver, but he judges his enemies. There's six nations that are going to be obliterated. Why? Because God's holy and loving. And God has given them 400 years, but they've filled their cup of sin. And not only that, but in delivering the exodus is going to be a final gospel presentation to these nations so that even a prostitute like Rahab will have a chance to come to Christ. Listen, God is not unfair. God is not unjust. He is hugely merciful, but He is also holy. Thirdly, God's plan is to deliver His people through Moses. Now, I'm telling you, if you don't live in the Scriptures, you miss out on how funny and how relatable the Bible is. So here's Moses, you know. Hey, here am I. Send me. You're the master. I'm the servant. You're the king. I'm the slave. I get it. Sandals off. Ready to do what you want. Hey, this sounds good. I was wondering when you're going to fulfill the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I was wondering when you're going to deliver the people. Now, how are you going to do that? And God says, you, you, you. And you know what's no different? How's God going to call a people out of every nation on this earth? It's going to be you. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. And you're like, wait, I'm a nobody. But remember, God is somebody that uses nobodies. You say, but I have a past. So did Moses. Yeah, but I failed and I've tried and I failed. So did Moses. This is good stuff. If, 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 you'll, if you'll engage with God to this morning, you can be transformed by this. God's plan is deliver. Here's my plan, Moses. It's you. And notice in, in the New American Standard, it says, come now. Now, come. I, I studied this out in, in the Hebrew. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, literally... It, it, in the Hebrew, it's literally, now go. It's not like, come now. Consider this. I'll wait on you. It's literally, now go. I've told you, I, I've revealed my presence. I've revealed my plan. It's you. Now go. And the word is a word for walking that means can mean walk over someone to rule over them. Basically, he's saying, now go and conquer Egypt. Now, what would you, you know, it's no different than go make disciples of all people groups. And you're like, what? Yeah. Now go, get going. Get going. Now, here's what's interesting I will send you. And so, how do you think Moses felt when he heard those words? I, and notice what it says I will send you to. Pharaoh. What do you think went through his heart? What do you think went through his mind? Fear. Yeah. Fear, anxiety, and the last 80 years, particularly the first 40, all come rushing back. And listen, that's the way Satan still works today. You might be listening to this. We got world outreach coming. You hear God speaking, and as soon as God tells you to do something, the first thing that comes rushing back is your past. Moses was no different. So what does Moses do? Well, he does what we often do when God calls us to serve him. He started making excuses. In fact, he makes five of them. We're only going to see two of them. But here's God's answers to all of God. Here's God's answer to all of Moses' excuses. Number three, God reveals his name. Every excuse, the first two excuses, let me put it that way. When God, Abraham makes the excuse, God reveals his name. Now, this is the heart of the passage. This is what we'll dwell on next week, okay? But I thought the context was really important. I don't know, it, it, it spoke to me, and I hope it's speaking to you. So let's look at it, verses 11 through 15. Again, let's read it. But Moses said to God, but Moses said to God, who am I? 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now, notice he uses God's exact words. He, he, he heard, he understood, and he's, he's putting them back in God's face. And, he's, and God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, this is what we do. Well, okay, suppose I do obey. Because we're going to see in a moment the New American Standard in this instance. Usually it's right on. It says, Behold, I am going. All other English translations use things like if or suppose I go, and I think that's the tone of it. Well, suppose I obey. You know, it's just like our kids. Go do this. Yeah, but what if? What if? What if? What will I say? 14. Here it comes. Are you ready? Are you strapped in? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, furthermore, God's not done, said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, that is, I am, that all caps means I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. Now, if I was Cecil B. DeMille, I'd be have glowing fill the room, right? Because that's a huge revelation. That is a huge revelation. And folks, it's just as real as you're hearing it this morning as Moses heard it those thousands of years. And we ought to be taking our shoes off. We ought to be saying, whoa, whoa. All right, so let's look at it. First excuse, who am I? Now, I found this interesting. There were some commentators who want to interpret that uh, uh, here, uh, who am I, as a humble way of accepting and agreeing to it. And they had a lot of evidence in Scripture where people would say they're accepting a duty, but they're saying, hey, I'm unworthy. You know, I'm, 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 I'm really... I'm really uh, honored to have such a uh, purpose and given such a duty, and, and who am I to do this? In other words, the who am I would be interpreted as being the same as saying, here am I, I'm, I'm ready to do this. But I think in this passage, and in light of what follows, in light of five excuses, I don't think this is what Moses is really saying. I think what he's saying is, who am I to go to Pharaoh? They want to kill me. And who am I to lead Israel? They didn't respond and respect my leadership. Who, I, don't, I, think you, I think you got the wrong guy here. And I'm telling you that God is calling each person in this room to serve him. And typically we'll say, you got the wrong person. You got the, but think about who we're saying that to. He knows full and well who you are, your past, and he knows what he's going to do with you in the future. And so God responds by saying, so basically here's what I'm saying. When he says, who am I? I think Moses is saying, thanks, but no thanks. Who am I? I can't do this. I don't think he's accepting the job. I think he is rejecting it. And God's answer is, Moses, it's not about you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he says this. Here's the sign that I'm going to be with you. And Moses is like, okay, good, good. God's going to show me something up front so I can have confidence. And he says, here's the sign. When you go and do this, you will succeed and come right back here and worship me. And you're like, what kind of sign is that? I have to obey before I get the sign? And God says, exactly. Because when you go to Hebrews 11, five times in Hebrews 11, it says regarding Moses by faith. By faith, by faith. Listen, what God is saying is, Moses, this isn't about you. It's not done in your power. I am the holy I am God. I will be with you. And here's what's going to happen. 
just like you led these dirty sheep to this mountain to worship me, you're going to lead these dirty people. And boy, they were. They weren't the easiest people to work with. You're going to lead them right here, and then I'm going to reveal myself. But you've got to trust me on this. You've got to do it by faith. So, here's Moses' second excuse. Well, suppose I go. Like I said, I don't think it's interpreted, behold, I go. It's like, behold, suppose I go. And they say, who are you? What am I going to say? Now, look in your notes. Why is it a big deal to ask God what is his name? This is a very big deal. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, names are a means of revealing character, the character of God in the Bible. His name reveals his character. Moses is saying, what if they ask me what kind of God you are? Can you be counted on? Can you be trusted? What is your name? What is your character? Number two, names are a means of creating a God in the pagan world. In the pagan uh, religion, a God wouldn't exist until people named them or other gods named them. So remember, he's going to Egypt, a place full of false gods and false worship. Number three, names are a means of controlling a god in pagan worship. Once you knew the magic name, you could use it in a superstitious way. And listen, don't think that's still not going on today. People still use power names and power encounters. So the issue is character, creating a god, and controlling a god. How God answers is going to reveal everything. So number, uh, here's God's answer. Verses 14 through 15. I am who I am. I am who I am. Notice he repeats it twice. It's his totality. This is, I am is everything about who I am. And notice what the answer tells you. I am a God whose character is always consistent. I am. I'm just always who I am. I'm continually who I am. I can be counted on. My character is consistent. But notice what it also tells us. I am. Yeah, but when did you begin? Who created you? I am. So no one creates me. I create everything else. Third... I am who I am, and nobody's going to be controlling me. You can't take my name and control me because I am. Yeah, but I want you to be this. No, I am. Yeah, but I want a God that's all loving and not holy. No, I am. Do you see what's going on here? He's giving them a name that reveals a consistent character of a God that has never been created but always is, and a God that cannot be controlled. He shows mercy to who He shows mercy, and He shows judgment to who He shows judgment because He cannot be manipulated. I think that was an important message. And so finally, let me skip down to number four. God reveals His sovereignty. In verses 16 through 22, let me just give you this. You can read that on your own. Verses 16 through 22. And we'll come back and catch some of this as our intro next week. But here's what I want you to see. Having revealed his name, God now reveals his sovereignty in the end of the chapter by telling Moses that the I am God is in control. He tells Moses what's going to happen. He says, look, you're going to go. Israel's going to listen. Pharaoh's not. I'm going to make Pharaoh listen by ten plagues, and then you're going to lead this people here, and they're going to plunder Egypt. I'm a God that's in control. Number two, I'm a God who cares. He repeats again to Moses. He says, tell these people, I have seen it all, I have heard it all, and I have not turned a deaf ear to your cries. I am not an idol that cannot hear and cannot speak and cannot move. I'm not something you make and set up on a shelf and pray to and use superstitious names and superstitious rituals of counting beads and and, and, and offering things and, and leaving food for me. I'm a God who cares because I can see, I can hear, 
and I can act. And then finally, the I am God tells you your choices, your choices do matter. God is sovereign. God is in control. God cares. But in the midst of that, your choices do matter. Moses had a choice to make. Would I go? Israel had a choice to make. Would we listen to Moses? Pharaoh had a choice to make. Will I let those people go? The Egyptians had a choice to make. Will we keep worshiping dead idols? Or are we going to worship the one true God of Israel? Folks, I don't know where you're at this morning, but all of us in this room have choices. Choices. When Moses saw that burning bush, he chose to respond. God saw his choice and God revealed more himself to you. Please don't leave here today satisfied with what you know about God because he is so big, so great, and he's so close and caring. So that's what we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at more of his name. We flew through this chapter but man, there is a wealth, is there not, in this chapter? Four revelations of the God, the burning fire of God in the midst of the bush. Let's pray. Father, we come, and this is the true God. You have revealed yourself to us. You've done it again today. I pray that the God we worship, the God we pray, the God we're going to go upstairs to sing to is this God. That we understand this is who you always are and always will be. I pray, Lord, that each person can honestly say, This God knows me by name. I've heard him call Chris, Chris. Whatever your name is, he's calling it. He's calling it. Have you responded? And Lord, this is the God. You are the God that we need to proclaim and pass on in to all peoples. And so we end where we begin. We think of Australia. We think of the peoples of the world. We think of our global partners. And Lord, this is the one true God. It's not the God of Islam. It's not just the God of Judaism. Jesus is the I am God. It's not the God of Hinduism. It's not the God of Buddhism. I am who I am. May we proclaim your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.